Hey guys, Jason here. I, uh, man, I guess I got a big announcement for Not Your Pastors podcast. Uh, I don't, I don't know how else to, to say it, but after, um, after a year and a half and 64 episodes, I, I decided to let Alex go. We were, we just had too many, too many disagreements, too many theological hiccups in our relationship he's my best friend he'll always be my best friend but it just was getting to a point i'm just kidding uh i gave alex the week off because his wife shauna and his baby ada were out sick and i was like you know what buddy that's why i told him i was like buddy you stay home you take care of that wife you you be a good husband you be a good dad don't worry about the podcast daddy's got you i'm gonna get us through this and i decided to um, do a rerun. I have decided to play an interview that we did last year. Holy crap. Over a year ago with our great friends Ernesto and Tony from the Red Rum Theater, another podcast here in Flint, Michigan. That's right. We're in Flint, Michigan. And I have to say that. And the reason I decided to replay this interview is because of Netflix releasing the documentary Flint Town. I was thinking in honor of that, I would re-release this interview so you guys could hear firsthand for what it was like for two dudes to grow up in the city of Flint and grow up without a lot of money, grow up without a father figure, growing up being raised by movies, going to schools that no longer exist. Tony and Ernesto, I mean, their story is just phenomenal. And if you missed it the first time, here it is again, and hopefully... You guys just enjoy this. There's so many laughs in this episode. They're so funny, and they really know how to take, you know, a a rough childhood, if you will, and just turn it into pure comedy for you guys. And so, I mean, as for the documentary Flint Town itself, I'm going to do my best to refrain from passing any judgments or making any comments at this time because I'm only on episode four. I have not seen the whole thing. So I feel like it would kind of be unfair to, to really start to comment on it. Um, but judging by my Facebook feed uh, from my friends and family who've grown up in the area, there's a, there's a, there's a mixed reaction to say the least. Some people love it. Some people hate it. They absolutely despise it. And I, understand both sides of it. I mean, I myself, I grew up in Montrose, Michigan, which is on the northwest corner of Genesee County, and it's just a little farming community. Um, but I say that, and I, but at the same time, I was born in Flint. My parents were divorced when I was five, and my dad lived in Maple Brook Apartments um, on the very south edge of Flint. So I'd spend my weekends here. I would, we would go downtown. We would, we would go to Stepping Stone Falls. We would go to Flint General's games. We we, uh, we did a lot. I also grew up playing roller hockey on the weekends, and we'd be there at Southmore Sports Mall on uh, Dort Highway, and a lot of my friends with the Southwestern Academy, and we spent time in those neighborhoods. I'd go watch them play ice hockey in the winter, or even still, my mom, she grew up in Beecher, which is on the north end, which is... To me, quite honestly, it looks like a lot of these scenes are filmed right on the north end, um, which is not a very pleasant area. And the last time I drove through that area a couple of years ago, I mean, I, all the houses are truly boarded up. It's It was 
It's tough to drive through because I remember as a kid, I remember my grandma living there. I remember it being a nice neighborhood and seeing it now is, is kind of heartbreaking. I know my mom, she made the same trek and she said she would never go back and she lives three miles away from it. And that's the thing about the city of Flint. It has many faces. So yes, I know that the documentary focuses a lot on the the dark and the negative side of Flint with the water crisis and the shortage of police officers. But at the same time, Flint has really, really progressed over the last 10 years or so with amazing events like the Crim Race and and Back to the Bricks. And so many new businesses have come in the last handful of years. I mean, we've done episodes with them. We did we did an episode at Tenacity Brewery. We did an episode at Sutorial. We're going to do some more where we're downtown and enjoying uh, many of the newcomers to the city and hopefully some of the longstanding businesses that have been there since I worked there 15 years ago. I used to work at Flint City T-shirts right there on the bricks. And, you know, we did a whole episode on the Flint Local, a punk rock club that um, I and many other musicians cut their teeth on and just so many things to be thankful for the city and what it has provided for myself. And, uh, I just thought this would be a perfect time and place to replay this interview. So you can hear two guys, um, who grew up in the city and putting smiles on faces. That's, that's one of the things I love about Nesto and Tony, not to mention we're going to have Nesto on again, Next week, um, we're going to do some other things. We're going to have some episodes on race. We are going to have some episodes on the documentary itself. Um, We're going to do some interviews with some Flint police officers, some guys who have worked there, some guys who work there currently, and hopefully provide you a little more insight into it. But you know what? I'm rambling long enough. Um, If I go any longer, then I'm just going to start nitpicking the episodes. So without further ado... Tony and Ernesto from the Red Rum Theater. I'm just so thankful and just excited about having two of the most rowdy guys in my house that I've ever had in my basement right now to record a podcast. I got to my right, I got Tony. Say what's up, Tony. What up, Doe? And to my <laughs> left, I got Ernesto. Say what's up, man. What's up, everybody? And there's Jason, too. Oh, you yeah, know, I forgot. The guy, the guy who does the show with you. I mean, Alex has been really excited about this. Like, I'm usually like the taskmaster of our little, our little podcasting crew. I'm always like, Alex, you do this yet, bud? You on this, bud? Did you, you work sure on that? Did you write your blog? Did you did save you the episode? Did you, you got to hit save on did that? Did you listen to this? So I'm like the taskmaster, but when it comes to like Red Rum Theater, Alex is like, Jason, you listen to it? Did you listen to that? Did you listen to Gremlins? Did you listen, did you listen to, Scrooge? to Scrooge? Did you listen to Aliens? <laughs> all these different episodes, like Alex is on top of me and I've been binging on them all week. Fantastic. I'm well, thanks, excited man. to have it's, you guys on too. We appreciate the support. But anyway, so... Before we get into talking about movies, because I I just love storytelling and I love movies, I wanted these guys to tell their story because they have a very interesting and uh, very interesting story, and maybe even one day a TLC movie that can be made. <laughs> <laughs> uh, more like Lifetime, dude. Dude, uh, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's oddly enough, our story is story becoming more common in the world. 
um, sadly to say, I guess. But we're sitting here in Flint, Michigan right now. We're in Flint Town. Flint Town? And, uh, 810? Flint is a, <laughs> a, a city that's been known for all the wrong reasons its whole life. Yeah. I mean, well, not its whole life, but my lifetime. When we were kids in the 80s, it was Merck Capital of America, yeah. um, like four out of ten years. But uh, we grew up on the east side of the city. Uh, the state streets, state streets, right off the Flint River. And if you if you know if you hear a state street, and it's on that side of town, you know it's bad, and it's been bad. It's been bad forever. So we're still bad. Oh, it's, it's, it's real bad right now. Um, I'm about to go buy a house over there just so I can get a cheap. <laughs> <laughs> get it for what? Thousand dollars for a house out there? They gave me five hundred dollars to move in, fool. <laughs> <laughs> so we're um so we grow up out in the east side, and we grow up um uh, basically um. My mom left our father when you were we, were. we were born on the Gulf of Mexico, legit on the ocean, listening to seagulls and smelling <laughs> the sweet air and everything. And why? Well, not that we remember any of it because we were babies. Yeah. But my mom <laughs> left my dad. I was days old, eleven days old. Greyhounded. Holy cow! Greyhounded man. it to oh Michigan gosh. to Flint from Corpus Christi, Texas. And I got pneumonia on the way. Oh, that's awful. On the bus. So I spent my first, like, however many weeks at Hurley in a stinking incubator because I almost died on the way back. Oh, my gosh. And because of that, you had health problems your whole life. I've had asthma my whole life. Um, I, think, you, I mean, that's why I got out of the Marine. I was in the Marine for 10 weeks, and I got thrown out because of asthma. Because you, yeah, you, it was horrible. But I mean, I was happy as a mug when I got out. Of here. <laughs> <laughs> I was in trouble all the time for laughing at them fools. But, uh, ten days in, dude. T- ten weeks. Ten weeks. Son. Ten he weeks. almost was a marine. Like if I went with the army, I would have been like, "Dang, I'm going to 9/11, dude." Oh. <laughs> but um, so we, we, my mom moves to Flint because we have family up here because the auto industry. Everybody moved here before we were born because of uh all the car plants and all the yeah all the the work that was here and it was back when it was like happening. And then we move here because they when a Mexican pays off a house, they ain't going nowhere. Ever, ever. So, I mean, it was like we moved here and then we moved into the nasty because it was a single mom with two boys. She had to do it by herself. And so our life is a story of, I mean, we'd go to school and uh, we'd fight our way. We had no peoples. Thank God, though, we were in the same school. Yeah, we me so and you. Young. But we, our, we had no cousins with us. We were on our own. We didn't have a crew. And what happened in our life is... Um, our mom's been married four times. So she'd marry a guy. We'd leave the city for a season. Maybe usually about two years usually, right? Yeah. We'd leave. Average. Then then it would, it, that would go bad, and she'd come back to Flint. And so we- and come back to mama. We always get to grandma, yeah. Um, and we always, I mean, we moved all the time. We, we never stayed in the same school district for more than two years at a time. We moved so many times elementary years that we can't even keep track of all this. I try to do my timeline in my life, and I can't do it. Well, that, thank God we had each other, though, because we never could make like best friends because right. we always had to. And even though we'd fight like a mug, <laughs> we had to always be boys because we moved to another town. And we had no more friends. And we had to flex yeah. on these fools. Um, What's the age difference between you guys? 16 months. Wow. Okay. Oh, yeah, man. So we're, we're you close. are really close. So we had 18 years sharing the same bedroom. We've never had the t- always same bedroom every every place we lived. And, and our our baby brother, uh, when my mom married his dad, he's a sorry mug, and he had we had <laughs> how many bedrooms? <laughs> we had a four bedroom house, and our baby brother was his real son, and me and Ernesto still shared a room, and there was a spare bedroom for his son who only came into summers. We were like, dang, <laughs> <laughs> that's legit, dude. You don't remember that? Dude? I do remember Shoot. that. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> So we'd come back to Flint Town, and it was it was a war because we weren't like like Flint was. We had to start over every time we moved back. Different school, different area. We lived in like every trailer park in the city. 
Um, we'd always leave in the middle of the night. I never understood why as a kid. <laughs> um, now as an adult, I know, oh, we didn't oh, pay man. our rent. <laughs> she had to roll before the power went off, dude. It was wintertime, fool. <laughs> wintertime in the city's tough, dude. You'd be like fudgicles in there, dude. <laughs> but, uh, so... We're in Flint Town, and what's crazy, even though we're in Flint Town, for the first part of our life, we're soft, dude. We were mama's boys. Oh, man, I used to call mama to the school because I get that beat down, and as soon as I seen her walk in, dude, it was Niagara Falls, Frankie Angel, <laughs> like, dang, mom's here. Ah! <laughs> um, we were, because we, we, we were mama's boys, so literally, we had no male figure in our life. We were, it was very much- Every time a male figure was there, we were deathly scared of him. Huh. See, it was funny. I always wanted so badly for the guy to be my dad. Like, I was- I was kind of pathetic about it. Like, I'd ask my mom not to leave guys. Even the guy might have been a terrible man. I'd be like, Mom, don't leave him. I, I want to have a dad. Don't leave him. I love that beer breath. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's all coming out. But, uh, like, there's guys that were around that weren't husbands but were boyfriends. The best one was Chano, dude. dude. He was a drunk, but he played Nintendo with us, man. He was so cool. <laughs> he, was, he played with us. He, he was the only cool dude. I man. was in Texas. Chano. As a gr- as, as a grown <laughs> as a grown man, I'm in Texas, dude. I'm like 20 years old. I go to my, I to my grandma. Well, here's the thing though. Chano was my my aunt Arlene. Her uh, I don't want to say husband. They never got married, but they're together. They're together like 40 years now. Um, my uncle Jesse's brother was Chano. That's Jesse's brother. That's why Arlene was messing with you like that. No, it's yeah, because Chano was down the street. We didn't even know. <laughs> no, okay, so Chano comes over to this party I'm at. He comes in. He's already blasted. It's, Chris, it's Christmas Eve. He comes over. He's blasted out of his mind. And he comes and sees me. He's arm He goes, everybody, everybody. I could have been this boy's dad. And he's talking all his trash. I'm like, who are you? Dude, too bad. It wasn't as bad as when Thea Arlene looked at me and goes, hey, your stepdaddy's here. And I was like, who? Oh. And I see this drunk mug. And I'm like, dang, dude. Dude, that's, <laughs> that's brutal, dude. I'm like, what you drinking? I'm underage, fool. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> hook me up, Chano. So we grew up in, in Flint uh, our whole lives. And we're, we're, we're soft. We're, school's a nightmare for us. We go to school. just eating alive. I literally ran into a guy just the other day who knew me from Whittier, which is the middle school here. What? He's like, you used to go to school here. I'm like, yeah, I did. He goes, you, you were a thinner dude. I'm like, I was a thinner dude. Uh, he goes, but you were here. I'm like, yeah. Like, yeah, that's back in the food stamp days for. <laughs> <laughs> You're so stupid. <laughs> But uh, can afford all that good meat, son. Uh, but uh, spam keeps you slam full. He goes. He goes. I grew up, you, I grew up on spam. Oh, well, look at you! You're skinny as a bug next to us. <laughs> yeah, I bet you and Alex never felt so good. <laughs> but uh, he literally said to me, he "Goes, you used to always come and just sit in the back and hide your head, didn't you?" I'm like. Dang, man. I'm like, that's true, but don't bring that crap up, dude. Hey, why don't you talk louder in front of my wife, fool? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's so we grew up and no male influence. No no one's taking us in our wing to teach us anything. Like One of our stepdads, literally, he spent his years in our life just tormenting us. Like He was so bad that he took me and Ernesto to a cemetery one night, late night. And he had us get out of his truck, and then he's and then he took off and left us there. Oh and left us in the middle goodness. of the cemetery, and we're like holding his hands, we're like, <laughs> and we're in the we're in the. All we see is it's like it was like Pee Wee's Big Adventure when when the prisoner dude took off and left Pee Wee in the desert. We just watched them taillights go, dude. We're like, oh, they're gone, dude. Oh. <laughs> he'd call us, he'd call us. And he, Why? He because he, he was just, sick, dude. He just like mess with. He, he would literally. I was like, thanks, mom. 
<laughs> he would literally call our name, and he was like a, a drill sergeant in our home. He called our name. He had well, a yeah, beat. He, well, he was in Vietnam. Oh man, so he called our name. And, a- and, and and when we when we when my mom married him, he uh, he moved us to the UP because he got a job as a prison guard. He was a prison guard at one of them UP prisons, dude. Oh man, Back, and that's when uh, when we were up there. They filmed part of Die Hard Two on the Air Force Base right by the prison. He oh, so we got to watch the plane explode on Die Hard Two. Yep. But oh, um, that was man. like beginning loving movies. He'd literally call our name. We'd run up and he'd be like, What? I'm like, You called my name. He goes, I farted. I just farted. <laughs> How do you do that crap? Oh. We'd be all excited. I farted for I'm like, Dang. I'm getting some attention finally. Yes. But uh, I'm like, uh, Thanks, Dad. <laughs> but uh, so that's how we grew up. It's basically, just uh, in and out of different school districts, different towns, different men, and not a one of them wanted any kind of part of our lives. And so, because well, none of them were the real dad, so they didn't give a rip. And yeah, yeah I guess just the way it is. But um, that's how, that's where we come from. That's and the thing is, we both started right around adolescence, really becoming, like going from that soft little boy who loved their mom, to getting real mean. Like, oh, we started. We came, we became like bad scrappers. Like for you, I remember the day you snapped. Um, you you started running tracks and started getting your lungs strong because you were sickly for a long time. Well, that's because I was so tiny. Really? And I was so used to getting beat on and everything. And when I started running, uh, it it was, okay, there's a bunch of bullies in my middle school. And we had gym class, and we did the mile run. And for some reason, I'm like, okay, I'm going to beat everybody today. And I, like, smoked everybody. And then the teacher was like, you need to go out for track. So I started running track and cross country and stuff. Next thing you know, I'm, like, seeing muscles and stuff. I'm like, what? It was crazy. Then I started realizing that these fools, and because we moved to Waterford by now, I'm like, man. Like the first real fight I got into, I was like, dude, like you, I, I got beat on so bad my whole life. I started getting punched in the face, and I'm like, that's hilarious because that doesn't even hurt. And then like I just started knocking dudes down. Like I got to a point where like I, I like felt like I was bullied, and then I became a bully like really quick. And I'm like, oh, I need to, I need to calm this down. Because the thing is, I didn't realize how much power I, I had. I taught Tony how to fight dirty because he got beat up so much. I taught I taught him how to be just a brutal dirty. I remember fighter. one time my mom told Ernesto. Uh, he was at Woodier and I was at Williams and she was like, you got to go pick up Tony um, because it's, you know, there's a lot of, lot of, it's a lot of danger around here. And if anything happens to him, that's your A. So Ernesto comes up to the school on the day I'm getting jumped by like this guy and his big brother and his buddies. And they're all Ernesto's age. And I remember Ernesto came around the corner. And I'm on the ground getting beat down. And I literally had to pick myself up because Ernesto was beating all these guys up so bad. I had to tell him to stop beating them up. And Ernesto, like, on the way home, I'm, like, bloody and stuff. And Ernesto's breathing heavy. And Ernesto's like, why'd you stop me, man? And I'm like, dude, I'm like, you're going to kill them fools. He goes, well, you know what mom was going to do to me? I'm like, dang, dude. So as soon as he seen me getting beat down, he lost. I had to, I had to tell him to rein it back. Uh, but but come time, on, Bruce Banner, day. The, <laughs> the reckoning is coming. By the time we get to, like, I get to high school, and you get to right middle school. We are, we're mean people. We're, we're just, we're, we're, there's a violence, and a, and for us, it's almost you were beat down for so long. It, it, I once heard Tyson talk about how, as a fighter, he, as a boy, got picked, picked up in Brooklyn, picked on all the time. And he's tell, did an interview with Brooklyn, Tyson said, and he starts crying. He goes, and I said, to him, and you know how his voice is, and I promised myself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he's that bad, dude. It's pretty bad, dude. <laughs> My defense is impregnable. <laughs> <laughs> he said, he goes, he goes, I swore to myself I'd never be afraid again. And I remember going, that's exactly 
the feeling. Well, we went to the same, that's inner city, dude. That you, I don't want to ever feel powerless. I want to know I can hang. And so you almost overcompensate with with pride, with uh, with 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 violence, um, and um, you, Tony, you were you learned to use your mouth as a weapon fast. When your muscles caught up to your mouth, you're you're a monster, dude. <laughs> That's all she wrote, son. <laughs> <laughs> you talk trash to somebody, get them mad to fight you, and you beat them up because they can't. You think it's it's just you're like those brothers from the UFC, dude, the Diaz brothers, dude. They're the baddest, dude. <laughs> But, uh, the thing is, they back it up, dude, with all that. Dumb. I know they do. Um, so that's kind of where our, our, where we came from. It's just it was rough, tough, mama by herself, and, so, and men would come and go, but it was always the core of us, us two, my other brother, and our ma. And uh, so in that in the, that whole thing that happened, essentially, um, we were missing a big piece, like of just a masculine male thing. We had a grandfather who ended up leaving because he left our grandma. That's che- what they do. Um, cheated on her for years and just left. And uh, so every male we had kind of was gone. Um, so we turned to movies. Like it's the weirdest thing in the world that for us, movies became a language. It became. It was like the only time because we, we were wild, boy. I felt bad for my mom. We, Me and you were so wild. But when a good movie would come on, they're like, there's no talking. We were like so into the movie. Yeah, and we like man. study these movies, and it was like uh, I remember watching um, Double Impact, and I'm just like they're <laughs> brothers, you know, and like and like we were watching, and we're all like, and we'd act out the scenes and like fake fighting in each the other. backyard, dude. dude. We go back and do it, and uh, but the thing was, even at that young age, we memorized lines, memorized dialogue, oh. and we and that became a language for us to speak. We speak in in movie. Uh, lingo and that also gives us a code we could say things to each other in like in a movie context and we would know what's happening no one else around us would like even like even to this day like if somebody like earlier you, you said taskmaster first thing that popped in my head was bassmaster uh, ghostbusters 2 and he's <laughs> yeah. like i only know two shows <laughs> he was talking about bankman's show and bassmaster yeah, yeah, yeah. he's like yeah. i know bassmaster <laughs> so i was like lost and you guys are talking about taskmaster <laughs> but uh um so we turn to film and film becomes uh uh it becomes a f- like we our podcast our slogan is we we watch movies we love movies we were raised by movies and it sounds weird but for us it's really true like uh, Tony tell I mean we learned to shave watching movies what, Lethal Weapon three um the scene oh, when man. Danny Glover he had killed his son's friend who was a gangbanger and it was they're getting ready for the funeral and the son's in front of the mirror and he's trying to shave and Danny Glover comes in and he starts teaching him how do you got to go against the grain. You know, and he's like showing them how to do it, and I was just like taking notes against the grain, dang! Bro. <laughs> oh, but man, I, I just go- let those hairs grow, man. <laughs> I, I can tell. Huh? But uh, okay, when you're Mexican, you, all you grow is the mustache, dude. <laughs> <laughs> when you're that young, <laughs> that little- I had a full blown mustache at 12 years old. <laughs> all I did was clip them out of my off, off my lips, so when I went swimming, they weren't in my mouth. That's right, dude. That's right. <laughs> but. Uh, um, so I became a fan of story. Like I um man, it was just and the thing is we also because our mom had so much to carry, she had to provide for us, she had to she had to fight the world to protect us boys. Uh we, well, she was even uh home improvement, everything. Worked in the house, built the deck, replaced all the drywall we broke. Reynolds was a crack house. Dude, but uh we stinking um we could watch whatever we wanted. So literally, my grandma's. Oh, you're talking HBO at 11 oh years old. Oh my yeah. gosh, dude, this sounds all too seven, familiar. Eight years old, Insane. dude. 
Yeah. Seven, eight, watch. If, when it came to HBO, it was it was Commando. It was yep. thinking, um Robocop. Terminator. I mean, all that was totally allowed. And these are movies I watch now. Because we'd be out of their hair. We could just go watch movies yep. in the basement. Grandma had cable all in the crib. And that oh stuff gosh. got in deep. Like It, it was... Like it's still all in. We we were so wild when we were young. We we took pixie sticks and broke them up like cocaine lions. From we watched the movie and we dared each other who's gonna sniff it first. And this mug had me sniff the pixie stick and I was my nose was bleeding and everything. And I was like, dang! Girl. <laughs> I thought every kid did that, but apparently it's not. So every child does. No, no, no. I remember my mom. My mom used to watch those movies with me, and then she would be like, "Oh, that's just ketchup. That's not blood. That's just ketchup." And I'm like, you know, a five year old kid watching Terminator Two, and it's like, oh man. Yeah, dude. But like, how about the scene in RoboCop when he blows his hand off, bro? Dude. I, that was like the rowdiest thing I've ever seen at that age, dude. I, I mean, I watch it as a grown man, and it still bothers dude, me. Dude, and, and that now it's the dude from that '70s show, and he's just like, no, 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 no. I'm like, dang, dude. <laughs> but why do you think that is? Why do you think movies are so powerful today, and they really they've influenced your life, like? I mean, not so much in my life, but like, I still talk in code with my friends with different movies, and like, it's almost like they're, it's the only language they know, and that it's like we can say things to each other, and that nobody else really understands. Why do you think that is? Well, I think for 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 okay, so um, I'm gonna speak for you for a second, Tony. Like, you don't like to read. What? Um, and how'd you do in school? They made a book out of that movie? <laughs> <laughs> didn't like, that's what I did in school, fool. <laughs> I didn't have so many band classes, I wouldn't have graduated. Okay, so... So store movies. Okay, well, how do you say it? Like, okay, lectures are boring. Um, being taught things, like your mom went to college, <laughs> dude. <laughs> how do you say it? Like, <laughs> story gets around all that stuff. Story gets around boring. Gets around lecture. It get. It's not just someone telling something. A lot of it for me is visual. That's it, it's yeah. The a story allows truth and emotions to get into you. Almost through the back door, because you're not you're, you're you you're going on it right like like it's like The Godfather, okay? In yeah. The film The Godfather, Michael Corleone, he's a normal person. By the end, when he's he, a military man, yeah, and he comes a, home to the he, family, he's a citizen, he's World a, War II hero. You watch it, and you are him. You're like, this family's weird. I'm you not. follow him. Yeah, you're you're with him, and you the whole walk time. him in his journey. And by the time the movie ends, you want to be a gangster, dude. You when he closed the door on his wife. And shuts her out and lies to her face. You're like, you got to do it, and that's crazy <laughs> that it can bring you but there. The thing is, though, when you grow up like we did, nobody taught us any better. We learned things from and movies that moves. And they I'm like, bad. okay, that's the way it go. And I, 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 it was almost subconsciously. I didn't say just like, like Jesus said to his mom, "Woman, what's that got to do with me?" <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, you're like, I guess alcohol follows, don't you? But uh, so we, it wasn't like uh, we thought about it or talked. Like, we didn't realize this much later that this was getting in. That it was it was becoming our language. And think about art is art is going. It's going to move you. It's going to push you. It's going to have influence over your thoughts. And we just let it in because it was entertaining. It was well made. It um, made us laugh or made us scared or it, it produced an emotion. Well, yeah, it's all it's all about the emotion that it inflicts on you. And you're like. You you feel you almost feel like these movies are real life, like yeah. some, something and that's for consistent. Us, we go into those stories. We're in so like we're good as, or bad. Maybe as an escape, like it big a, time. Yeah. Um. Whether and, and like it, action because you, you live in you living in Flint. You're living in the ghetto. 
You're poor. You're, well, you're on welfare. But the thing is, you're growing up with all your friends in the same state. And everyone's ghetto. Everybody, everyone's Everybody's go- going through the same hardships. Every, if their dad's there, their dad's beating them every day. Like it, it, Everyone's life sucks. And movies, sometimes the world in the movie, it's adventurous. There's, there's chance for heroism. There's chance for standing up against overcoming obstacles and in, in the, in the, as, a, as, a, as an inner city kid you can't overcome nothing you go to school and if you make it back alive that's a great day that's a great day school sucks the neighborhood sucks home sucks if there's a guy living there and a movie doesn't suck there and so story becomes a way to experience the world that's not broken even if you're going through, like going through craziness at school or you start you thinking about this awesome movie you just watched. So your brain takes you away from how horrible it is right now, thinking about this sweet movie I just watched the other day, and then you're like on the playground, but you find yourself by yourself going through these scenes. And then with me and you, we go through the scenes together, fighting each other, playing out the scenes that we just seen in this movie. And that was like, and it was like our escape was the adventure from the movie we just watched. Dude, I so we couldn't wait to watch another one. I literally walk around, like walk to and from school, and I... There's a sound like in my mind. I'm living in a movie, and there's a soundtrack playing for the yeah. scene I'm in. And that's yeah, how we dude. fell in love with music was from the movies. Exactly yeah. true. Uh, music became the soundtrack to our life uh, in real, in a real way. Uh, it just the mortal. I know that Mortal Kombat soundtrack is playing over and over. <laughs> I still remember being on the playground in like second grade and like getting a playing soccer and getting on a breakaway and the Indiana Jones theme song. <laughs> man, I yeah. mine, dude. It's going, but uh. Everything was a proton uh, blaster yep. from Ghostbusters. Anything that resembled a gun, just a proton blaster, dude. Don't cross the streams, dude. Don't cross, <laughs> Don't cross the streams. The stream. I tell that to my boys when they're going pee at the same time. <laughs> what? Don't cross the streams. Total plutonic reversal. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> well, it's a different world now, too, because back in the 80s and 90s when we're watching movies, there there weren't as many movies. Like Nowadays, things are so easier, easier yeah. to make film. So you have, like, I... Can't keep up with movies anymore. There's too many coming yeah. out. Yeah, I can't watch the Academy. Like, Which is job security for this podcast we do. <laughs> um, but because there dude, was... because since I got Netflix, I've watched every Danny Trejo movie there is, dude. I'm Holy like, dang, I didn't cow, know that they dude. had a sequel to this movie, dude. But uh, sneaking back in '89, it was crazy. As if you're our age, if you're 36 years old, if you're born in 1980, if you're a, if you're basically a Gen Xer or early millennial, the a lot of us watch the same things. Yep. Single ladies, by the way, I'm 35. I'm not quite as old as my brother over there. <laughs> and he's single. Uh, <laughs> oh, man, dude. It just happened Tuesday. Why I got to bring that up, dude? Oh, oh man. <laughs> but, uh, um, so, I don't know how to say, it's just, story is a powerful thing. I think that that's one of the reasons, like, Jesus goes to story. Jesus, if you read the Bible, and you read the Gospels, the Gospels are the hardest to preach through for preachers. Because, mm. like, you go read the epistles. They're yeah. just, they're information. You read James, yeah. you know, be, you know, do this and yeah. don't do that and don't be stupid. You preach that. You tell people stupid, call it a day. Jesus just tells these stories all the time and often doesn't tell you the point of them. He leaves them open. And Sermon on the Mount is probably the most important part of Scripture in my mind. It, it, it's, everything's right there. But most people I know have no idea what he's talking about because it's so, it's all just story and imagery and moving through these um, metaphors. And he just walks away, new one, walks through it. And I love that about him because that's that story, he's speaking 
he's speaking to he's not speaking to philosophers, he's not speaking to um academics, he's speaking to the people. Right. And the people, what do they know? They know farming. They know shepherding. They Fishing. know they know exactly. And so he talks to them in their world with that's why I have guys, I know preachers that say you got to be an expository preacher, and you only go verse by verse to the scriptures, and you got you got to break down the Greek and Hebrew and say what it means. I'm like, dude, our master didn't teach that way. Mm-mm. Why are you tell me to do this thing that he didn't do? He didn't bore his audience to tears. He said the truth. He confronted sin, but he made sure they could get on. If mm-hmm. they had ears, they could hear. Um, and if our ma- the master teacher, the story is his go to device. I often tell illustrations. The illustrations are not the point, okay? Illustrations are well, supposed to... That's sucks you in. Illustra- that's, if you're yeah, a good storyteller and you draws have illustrations you and people can can relate to what you're talking about, that's how you get them in there for the important parts. Right, and the you thing have is... have to be a good storyteller. Illustrations illustrate. I have to know what Jesus is saying. Then ask the question, how do I get someone who's living in 20th century America... How do I help them understand this truth that was spoken to first century, well, not whatever century Jews? Mm-hmm. You know, like how do I bridge this thinking gap? And how do I, and it's, that's the hardest part for me being a speaker because this is called Not Your Pastor's Podcast, and you have a pastor on, so you're breaking <laughs> the rules. I was like, we should probably uh, yeah, let they, our listeners know that Nesto's a pastor. They got me on, too, though. They kind of, uh, <laughs> kind of well, yeah. it cancels each other out, so we're good. Dude. Yeah, I we, don't we know, wanted dude. to balance it. You uh, know? This is my brother sitting across from me. He he is what we call at our church. He's our barstool evangelist. He, <laughs> oh, he doesn't drop that bomb. <laughs> <laughs> he, um, too bad I got another Mexican family coming on Sunday, boy. <laughs> too bad I just bought him a shot of 1800. Honey boy. <laughs> <laughs> Is that true, dude? You ain't lying, dude. <laughs> but Tony here invites more people to church. And when I know, he goes meets people, let them into his life, real people. People, I mean, we're in Flint Town. I mean, it's this place we live in, it's, it's still very hopeless. Dude, I'll tell you what. I, I just started training again at a new uh, MMA gym here. It's in Flushing. It's not too far from here. But there's a guy that trains with me who sings for a very well-known band right here in Flint. Who I was, I'd spent 15 minutes with after practice. After we just got done beating the tar at each other, I started, I tell him all about Ernesto's story, tell him about the church right downtown. He knows exactly where it's at. Dude. Yes. How insane would that be if he showed up? So I got his attention. But that's the thing, though. But he's I, not going to come to regular church. He's not going to come to He's ma- going to come if I tell him there's three felons playing in the praise band and there's real people there. There's homeless people sitting next to drug addicts, sitting next to teachers, sitting next to lawyers. Then he would sit next to sheriffs like a mug. <laughs> How oh, sweet is that? Snap, dude! But it's oh, it, oh, oh, Flint Town. Right, the, the Flint Town is it's there's a, there's a lot of hopelessness here because yeah. if you're in a city that there's there's no jobs, their water is bad. Um, if dude, it takes me four bottles of water to make Kool Aid, son. Dang! <laughs> <laughs> and I chose to move here. Oh. But um, like the thing is, we moved back to Flint and we left. Mom was so mad when we, when I told her. This is a very interesting part of your story. This is insane because most everybody is can't wait to yeah, get out. Once of they Flint. get out, they're out. I taught um, when I first came to Flint. I taught in schools. I used to teach taught in order to make some make, of the schools we went to. Yeah, I, I, well, no, my, most of mine had closed down. Um, well, you went to Potter. Potter's the only one though. The rest are all gone. Um, oh, Sobey's gone too. Sobey's gone. Whittier's gone. Williams is gone. Way gone. Um, but Steve, yeah, that was the only pool in t- in the neighborhood when we were growing up. Was at Williams. It was awesome. It was like the hood, like a mug, but that was like an awesome swimming pool. 
But, Man, um, I miss that swimming pool. <laughs> I'd go to teach, and I'd tell kids, you know, my name's this, and I, I just moved back. And kids raise their hand, like, what do you mean you moved back? I'm like, well, I got out, I went to college, did these things. And kids are like, why'd you come back? And these are kids that are in the city, they're at Southwestern, they're at Northwestern. They're like, why the crap would you come back to this? Because in their mind, the dream is get out of here. I tell the kids that their goal in football is to be good enough to have a school like Grand Blank say, come to our school and we'll, Davis we'll take care and, of you. Yeah, yeah. The, that's they, why sports are so huge in the in an urban environment. Because yeah. it's a way out. Yeah, like Terry Crews was from Southwestern here in Flinttown. Terry Crews, love Terry. He's the man. He's, he's pictures on the he's wall, the dude. Man, um, <laughs> his pictures on the wall. It's Southwestern. Southwestern. He's there, right there. Just he looking. thinks you're talking about your house, dude. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm, I'm locked seven. I was locked seven. It's just funny because every I you school, about your house. every school that I've ever it's been the pictures to, pictures from white chicks when he's in a speedo and on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> every school that I've ever been to, the the guy that they have hanging up on the on the wall is some old white dude, and then in Flint, it's Terry. It's all you got, <laughs> That's baby. The best, dude. <laughs> Um, but, uh, <laughs> like, so we have a lot of gang violence in the city of Flint. And the thing is, though, here's the thing. When we left Flint, we were on the edge of walking into that world. Well, here's the thing. We have, we we come from, like, a Mexican family. We have family that are wrapped up in gangs. We have a lot of family that have done serious time in prison. And my mom told us straight up, we had some cousins that were trying to talk to Ernesto about getting into some serious gangs that were here because uh, uh, we might have been, Early teens, but like you were a big dude. I was strong, and when I was coming up, if we would have stayed, who knows what would have happened? And my mom married this guy. Um, they've actually been married and divorced and remarried. They're still together to this day, but she he worked at General Motors, and he was just like, "You guys are in the worst part of town. We got to move out." So he worked at GM Lake Orion, moved us to Waterford. We started going to Waterford schools early teenagers. We would have never went to Waterford. Who knows what would have happened? It gave me a chance to do well in school. I, I went to college because of that. Well, you you were always so smart. Like it was. But even though I was a smart, it was I'd get robbed all the time coming home from school. And when that's well, that's when they got rid of the um the buses. You started having to take MTA buses, city I know. buses to school. It was awful, dude. It was, it was a nightmare. Yeah, that bus card. I was like, look at that picture, fool. Oh, <laughs> but uh, sneaking um. So for uh, when you're a young man, you have no male role models. You're getting your head kicked in every day because you have no peoples. You got to find peoples. And the gangs give you that. Yeah. And they I, give you money, too. And they give you, honestly, Good it clothes. You, it gives you, it's, your, oh, it's almost like an identity. It's hope, dude. Yeah. It's your own, it's so kids go to hope. And the thing is, you got to be the toughest, the meanest. You got to be the rowdiest. No one can front on you because you'll lose your reputation. And so these young kids are killing each other here in the city. I mean, I asked the lady, I was at a restaurant and those Mexican girls were serving on me. I'm like, where do Mexicans go? When I was a kid, there were Mexicans everywhere. She goes, they're dead, they're in jail, and the re- the mom's left, dude. I was like, dang, man. man. that's rough. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, now Flint's black, white. Like, there's very few Latinos left in the city. Um, there was tons when we were here. Oh, all, like, there was restaurants all over the place, dude. Um, but, uh, Steakin, when there's no hope, when there's no, there's no jobs, your schools are like, I'm not trying. Like, if you're a teacher and you teach, then you know that's great for you. Here in the inner city school districts, man, they are underfunded. They, they're the the student, the, the teacher student ratio is out of control. Um, the teachers have no backup. Um, most of the kids in Flint schools are only in Flint schools because they can't go somewhere else. Every other kid left Flint. They go to Grand Blank School District. They go to Davison. If they got a grandma or a ma who get them out of here, they'll get out of here. 
The only kids left in the Flint school district are the kids that have no ride out of the city. Yeah, they're the lowest test scores in the United States. Right here. ACT, SAT, the lowest. ribbon schools here? No. There's no hope. Your schools are broken. Your neighborhoods are broken. You can't go get it. Like when I was, when I was in Waterford, I, I was 14. We got a job doing dishes at a little restaurant. We're talking about the other t- today. Yeah, but actually, me, Ernesto, and our baby brother all worked at the same restaurant. All those carry out, and it was a family-owned place. And this guy invested in our, our lives. Our boss was it. He, oh, he was a my male role my model. first drum set came from a loan Ernesto took, and that guy George gave it to him for me to get my first drum set. So when I was old enough, I bought our baby brother his first electric guitar. That's just how we rolled. Thanks to George. He, he was like the only, he was like a, one of the first real father figures we had. Legit, and you can't find, in the city, you're going to find those He was so awesome. He would let literally let us take our time card and write a loan on and take it out from the register. Man. If we were man. broke. Because we got paid biweekly. Some of those times I'd, I'd get paid and I'd be like, dang, I'm negative $20. Dang. <laughs> 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 but uh, Steakin, Waterford gave us all this opportunity we didn't have in the inner city. And so I come back to Flint. And we come back to Flint for this reason. And honestly, um, so I worked. I worked in. I worked in. I got saved in a suburban church, a suburban white church. That's where I met Jesus. That's where I learned to do church. Was in that suburban white environment. Went to Chicago. Did a lot of ministry in a multicultural setting when I lived in Chicago. But the dream was go back to the suburbs, get a fat paycheck, and live the dream. Yeah. yeah. Babysit Christians. Babysit. I mean, literally, like sometimes you're babysitting spoiled Christians, making sure they're happy and doing things. I mean, doing activities and events that literally just for either your people or the people down the street that are also still Christians. We just gather all the Christians together and we'll sing Kumbaya and, it'll, and we'll still call it ministry. And uh, dang. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> but that's heavy. <laughs> so yeah, I'll tell you what, though, the crazy thing is when Ernesto left and went to college and went and did his thing, I got mad at him because he left me in that household and I was doing life by myself and I, and I didn't have any plans for college. So when he left and he was doing his thing in, uh, in college, I moved to Detroit and I started playing in heavy metal bands, started playing, I mean, drugging, drinking, sex, whole nine like that. I mean, I, I can't believe you were gone I for a while. It. You were gone, gone, like, like black. I remember you first bring your home blackout, drunk, drop on the lawn, just leave you there. I remember you came to a wedding. I had gotten a, uh, it was a house party the night before after our band played a show. I mean, if it, any, any, our band was called Eat Your Heart Out, if that tells you what kind of band that was. And um, this huge fight broke out, and I remember picking a guy up over my head, and I was going to slam on his head on the kitchen floor. And one of his friends had hit me from the side and completely broke my leg in half. So the next Man. morning, I woke up on the floor, and I stood up because of all the drugs I was on. I stood up and limped out of the house on a severely broken leg. I mean, I was standing up in a wedding there, Ernesto and his wife, brand new wife, were at. And um, I remember I, I was limping in with a cane, and I'm like, I just get me to the wedding reception so I, could, I just have to drink, and I'll, and I'll be fine. And you and Angie took me to the hospital. Mom met us there, and the doctors looked at, at you guys and were like, what? This dude's on a broken leg. And he's walking in here like I was insane for a minute, and then then I find out later on that Ernesto was praying for God to break me so I'd come back back to him, and I'm like, you know, prayer works full on. Because <laughs> <laughs> three weeks before I broke my leg, I broke my hand. Uh, oh but, my uh, gosh, Deacon, dude! Um, all I have to say is, um, so you when there's no hope, like so, we're in a suburban church, and 
uh, I left that suburban world, and I was in, it was in the wind. I was kind of in the wind. It was actually a real, a real awful situation. Um, and my wife and I were in the wind. We felt really hurt and felt really alone and betrayed. And uh, we um, didn't know what to do. Like we thought, are we gonna be? Are we still gonna be in the ministry? Should I just go get a job and make money? Um, you were debating on being a truck driver because you have your class B license. Yep. I'm like, should I just drive truck and just? And I'm like, dude, I've been driving trucks for ten years. Don't do it all. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> we, we, we pray through it and decide we're gonna stay. Saying, saying, stay schools different. for fools. Look at me. It's <laughs> <laughs> gonna stay. Oh my gosh, dude. <laughs> Um, we're going to stay in ministry. And we start looking around. I go to Kalamazoo. I go to Emily City. I go to places where there's- Ohio. Oh, I, I, not really for me, Ohio. Like, I went to visit some friends, but I, I, want, I don't want to be in Michigan because I know that Michigan is a state that's kind of hurting. Michigan's a state that people are leaving economically. The recession hurt us a lot worse than a lot of other places in the nation. I'm like, I want to stay in Michigan because no one, no one fights for this state. So we drove around, and, and I drove around and everybody considered Flint. It wasn't even on the- like, I, went to, I went to Burton. I went, I went to all these places praying Bert-tucky? about it. Bertucky. <laughs> and my wife, one day, she's like, why? We're, we're walking around Flint. Why don't we just look at Flint? And I'm like, babe, you don't know what it's like in that city. This city, I swore I'd never go back to that city. It almost broke me. I never, went to, I never walked back to that city after we left. I just never came back. Because in my mind, it was like a picture of everything that hurt us and wounded us. It was like off limits emotionally for me. So I took my wife to see where I grew up. I took her to see like my old schools. We drove around a whole day. Went out to eat here in the city. It changed a lot in 20 years. Yeah. The downtown. Yeah, is, downtown's great. I couldn't believe how nice the downtown is. Um, Soggy Bottom brought me back, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're driving back back to Waterford, and we're cars quiet. And Angie's just like, we got to go to Flint. Because we started talking to pastors, and every pastor we talked to, like, like had a church in the city, didn't live in the city. Yeah. And I'm like, who's fighting in here? Who's fighting for the people? Churches are leaving the city. Churches are close. Like, like, I'm, I'm trying to, f- I'm, not, I'm not saying there's, there's gospel being done here. People are fighting for Flint, but they're hard to find and they're dying. Like, mm-hmm. They're just, they're on their own out here. Yeah. And a lot of discouraged people out here. And Angie and I are like, you know, if we're going to do this, let's do this. For, let's, if we're going to give our life, if we're going to give our lives for something, we might as well get our heads kicked in for it. Um, We might as, you know, we might as well go and do it. And so, we sold our home, and we moved to a city that was in the. Literally, we moved here, and we bought our house. And two days later, the how the water crisis was finally admitted by the state of by, by the state. Yeah. Like, yeah. For a while, it was denied, denied, and we moved in. And then two then it was at the big press conference, like, yeah, it's, it, you don't drink the water. It's it's really bad. It's it's all true. For uh, for our listeners who don't know, Flint has some has a water problem. We have lead in the water. <laughs> we have. I mean, literally, it's still not fixed too. Just want to yeah. also put that out there. Yeah, we drink bottled water every yeah. day of our lives here. Yep. Yeah. Um, um, but uh, we moved here, and Tony said to me, he's like, I go, I'm. I told him straight up. He was like, Yeah, I'm starting a church in Flint. And I was like, good luck with that, dude. Have fun. <laughs> I had, I, I, I had uh, I've been driving trucks for 10 years. And probably about seven years ago, I crashed into a bridge. It was the scariest thing. With a semi-truck. With a semi-truck. <laughs> and it was the scariest thing that ever happened in my life. Well, I ended up losing that job. That was the, my favorite job I've ever had. That wasn't at Irish Road, was it? No, no. That, okay. that was in Detroit. Okay. On the Mount Elliott Bridge. I was on the news for that one. <laughs> but, um, so, so here I am working my butt I off. I remember that. <laughs> It was crazy. So here I am. That was, years. That was you. Yes, that was me, dude. That was, dude, there was like a thousand calls to 911 in like 20 seconds. It was oh, insane. Oh, man. But thank God it wasn't nowadays because everybody would have texted and I would have killed somebody. Oh. So here we are years down the road. I finally get that job back. I got that job back. And you wanted it back which so long. Which was 
unreal that I got this job because they are so safety conscious. Thank God the safety director went to another company. So they forgot about it. <laughs> so I get this job, and I'm making the good money with the good benefits. I'm getting ready to move back down to Detroit. I was playing in another heavy band. I'm like, dude, I'm going to move to Hazel Park or Ferndale Royal Oak or something. I'm going to do my thing. And Ernesto's like, I'm moving to Flint. Because I, I, in the midst of all this, all that stuff happened with you. Yeah. So then you finally just told me what was going on. I'm like, just like mom. I was like, man, you must be smoking, dude. You're moving back to Flint. I'm like, have fun with that. And I told you straight up, don't expect me to be coming down and playing drums for you every weekend. Ask him like once a month to come and he'd be annoyed with I'm, me. I'm like, don't even think I'm coming down there. And I'm telling you, the first service, the, f- the first couple weeks, first month, I'm like, holy smokes. They're like, there's something happening here. Like, mm. this is, I mean, I'm seeing family that are like diehard Catholic coming. I'm seeing like, it, it's it's so crazy. Guys coming off heroin. I, mean, I, just- I put, I don't even know why I put it. I put my two weeks notice in at work. <laughs> and I, and I made it, I made like one phone call. That's it. One phone call. One phone call to a good friend of mine, Hayden Marlowe. His dad, Chris Marlowe owns a company right here. And uh, I worked for him back in the day. And I called him and I said, Chris, or, uh, I think I want to commit to Ernesto's church. I'm really feeling something. I just wanted to let you know. If you have anything opening, and he calls me back, because this was on a voicemail, he calls me back, and he goes, uh, Tony, uh, are you telling me that you are available? And I said, that depends. And he said, I put an ad on Craigslist three days ago. I need a guy right now. And if you want to be that guy, you got a job. And I'm like, okay. And I, I quit my job, came to work here. I, what, a month and a half in, I was being lazy about finding a place. Me and I got off work uh, one day early. Me and Ernesto just drove around right uh, across from the YMCA downtown, we see a uh, sign for uh, apartments. Found this amazing apartment. It's so nice. Right Jim. downtown, 12-foot ceilings, harbor floors, whole nine. Oh, half man. of what I would pay for anything where we come from. And it's like, it was like God put everything in a row. Boom, boom, boom. And next thing you know, I'm here. I'm like two feet in. I haven't been this happy like ever. It's nice. insane. And I And I took a big pay cut to come here. And like... But I'm way happier. Uh, instead of being a number at a job, a truck number, I'm like a person. Love my work family. I mean. And they love you too, Just dude. the way things lined up is just unreal. That's kind of what's blowing my mind about hearing you guys' story because it sounds like awful. But you guys are like laughing about it, <laughs> like cutting jokes, like busting up. Well, here's the thing about and we're like, in Flint. Okay. It's a miserable place, but can't you guys drink water drinking a Kool Aid with four bottles of water yeah. can't even make Raymond noodles. Aha! <laughs> <laughs> there's 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 almost no reason to be happy, but this is like this is like the happiest room right now. Like, well, the thing is, is is that we see how bad it can be, and we want to change that for everybody. That there, we're there are kids That's we're awesome. meeting, dude, and they're in what we were in. And when you're in it, it's hard to have hope. When you're in it, it's all it, it feels like it's just closing it and there's just well, there's kids at our church, man. They, they like, there's so many kids that come up to the drums after church. We just BS, and they call me Uncle Tony. I'll slip them a dollar here and there, and like, <laughs> you know, just like, like the little kids I look at. I'm like, this was us. We didn't have anybody really to talk Nobody. to or love on us. I, I mean, it's just the opportunities that the church gives us. Like we go and we do services at Genesee County Jail. We'll go in there with just me, Ernesto, and the worship leader, Ricky, and I'll play my little drum or whatever. That was the first time I met you guys. Yes, it was. Dude, I'm telling you, it was the first time I started talking, like really talking. Ernesto put me uh, to do my- Put uh, on the spot, too. Put me on the spot to do a testimony. <laughs> I'm talking <laughs> trash because I got a bunch of tattoos. On the, so right away, these guys are relating to me. 
Yeah. They know we're not like like we walk in and they, what did they ask us? Um, what was that gang? They asked us Square Park. Yeah. Um, what gang was it? Latin King. You guys Latin Kings? We're like, no, fool. <laughs> we're in a <laughs> Split City Church. Split City, son. <laughs> got, got three felons. Uh, uh, I'm the only one in the praise band that can be here because I'm not a felon, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like opportunities that we have. Like, we wouldn't have. Because we come from where we come from, people can, can uh, trust us. And they listen to what we have to say. We're not just somebody coming in here with, you know, polo shirts on. Yeah. And, like, trying to tell them. Well, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong. Oh, no, I've never been in your shoes, but I can tell you what the Bible says. I've been in them shoes. I was in them shoes two weeks ago. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, like it's just a relatable thing because we're from the neighborhood. And we live in the city. Like, people that care, people that matters to people. We met that dude with the, all the tattoos. His eyebrows, uh, or his eyelids, one eyelid said east and the other one said side. He knew exactly what house Man, I hope you guys enjoyed that interview as much as Alex and I did when we first recorded it over a year ago. Now, I have to say there is more to it. If you go to our podcast feed and you go to episode 19, you can hear the second half of that podcast where they break down what they do in their podcast. That's They talk about movies. They talk about how that movie raised them right and how that movie raised them wrong. And the movie that we break down in this particular episode is the movie Commando. But I really want to encourage you guys to go check out Red Rum Theater. Go to Apple Podcasts, search for Red Rum Theatre. That's just the way they spell it. Um, you guys will not be disappointed. It is just a podcast that is full of laughs and insight and growing up. It just kind of reminds me of those moments where you're watching Full House, you know, and it gets real. They have moments like that, too, where they just break down and share some stories where it gets real. And you guys, you won't be disappointed. That said, it's time for me to be done flying solo. Actually, I don't like it. I hate it. I miss Alex. Alex, buddy, I know you're probably not listening to this because you're busy doing other things, probably playing in your band or combing your long, beautiful hair, things of that nature. And I miss you, buddy. And this is extremely lonely because normally we're in your basement in Flint and we're in my basement. I mean, I said we because there's a picture of you here, but... Really, it's just me sitting here by myself, um, wishing that you were here, buddy. And I can't wait for next week when you do come back because we're actually going to have Nesto on. And we got some other amazing shows coming up. But uh, I want to take a quick moment of your time and tell you how you can support Not Your Pastors Podcast. You can go to www.notyourpastorspodcast.com and there you will find a tab in the upper right hand corner that says pulpit. If you click on that, it will give you instructions on how you can be a part of our podcast. You can record a five to ten minute sermon about Jesus and what Jesus means to you or maybe your favorite passage or your story or how Jesus has affected your life. 
and we would love to hear it, be encouraged by it, and share it for others. You can also hear on that page other people's sermons and be uplifted by them. Just some phenomenal things going on on that page itself. Other ways that you can support us, you can go to patreon.com backslash nypp and if you feel so inclined you can support us financially and there we have different breakdowns and different incentives for however much your heart desires to give to our podcast and i just have to say i mean if you give to our podcast your wildest dreams will come true like blessings like you've never seen before it's um well I, I can't really describe it. You just have to. You just have to do it, okay? So Alex and I, this is a hobby for us. We would really love for this hobby to pay for itself and just continue to do it and have fun and reach out to people and make a small little footprint in this world of podcasting. Another way that you can support us is by going to Apple Podcast and leaving us a five star review if you leave some words with that review we will read them on the show we really appreciate those reviews they help us get into the ears of more listeners and one final way that you can interact with us go to facebook twitter and instagram search for not your pastors podcast and reach out to us we'd love to hear from you we'd love to hear your thoughts on this show we'd love to hear your thoughts on the documentary flint town if there's anything that you think alex and i should talk about in upcoming episodes we would be glad to listen to your suggestions and to make an attempt as two guys who failed at trying to make it as pastors that's that's kind of what we do here so a few reminders before i go go to your favorite podcasting app search for red rum theater listen to them it's worth your time if you're in the flint area go to flint city church and finally if you're having a rough week which we hope that you're not just one last reminder Always keep your stick on the ice. Thank you so much for listening. Good day.